Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Counselor Toolbox podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's largest e-counseling platform, providing accessible and affordable counseling services via messaging, live chat, phone, or video. To apply to be a counselor at BetterHelp with no overhead fees or cost, go to betterhelp.com slash toolbox. You can also find a counselor by going to betterhelp.com slash toolbox and clicking on Get Started in the upper right corner. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation. We are continuing the Journey to Recovery series, and today we're going to be talking about enhancing motivation. We're going to basically define motivation and all the different types of motivation and ways that we can enhance them in our clients and ways that we can teach clients how to enhance motivation in themselves. And that's one of the things that I really want um, to have as a takeaway from this. When you teach this curriculum, if you were, you know, teaching from the book, for example, um, the goal of this webinar is to help you figure out how to use the text in order to um, enhance group and individual activities. So motivation is a combination of desire, willingness, and ability. There's a lot of things I want to do, but I'm not willing to put forth the effort to do some of them. So, you know, you have to have desire and willingness, and you have to have the ability. There are some things that I really want to do, and I'm willing to do what it takes, and I just don't have the ability to do it. Um, you know, medical school is one of those things. Calculus, whew, way, way over my head. Um, so I had the desire, I had the willingness to work at it, to, you know, do everything I needed to do. But when it came to calculus, I just couldn't pass that daggum class. So we have to have desire, willingness, and ability. We want to make sure that people have their an ability to keep their eye on the destination and choose to do things that move them closer to their endpoint instead of detouring them. So I always start out when I'm working with clients, when I'm working with groups, we start out a group um, at the beginning of the series talking about what does a rich and meaningful life look like to you? What are the things and people and experiences that are important? I mean, truly 
kind of must-haves in your world for a rich and meaningful life. You know, there are things that we want, but they're not necessarily crucial to having a rich and meaningful life. So we want to really pare it down to what is the core that you're working towards. That way, whenever people are faced with a decision, they can go back to that and look at it and go, is this getting me closer to what's really important in my life? Or is it just kind of a wild goose chase? Think about whether you've um, ever accomplished something you were not motivated to do. You know, I do this on a regular basis, like laundry, um, paying bills. And there were some times working on my dissertation that I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't stand to do one more page. So there are periods, even during long tasks, there are periods where motivation may wax and wane. So thinking about what that was, how did you get yourself motivated? One of the things that I find exceptionally helpful when I do these groups is to encourage people to share their own self-motivational and other motivational techniques uh, because it's not the same for everybody. Just like we all speak different love languages, if you will, um, we also speak different motivational languages. What motivates me may be different from you. So while you guys are thinking about ways that you got yourself motivated, please feel free to share in the chat room. Um, you know, one of the things that my, my uh, committee chair taught me was to do 15. And I talk about this a lot in different settings. But doing 15, if I could get on the computer and work on my dissertation for 15 minutes, even if I really just didn't want to do it, generally, once I got started, it wasn't so bad. And I, I was the same way with homework. I was horrible when I got home about actually starting to do homework. Um, I didn't mind going to class. I just hated cracking the books later. But doing 15 was always good for me. And I'll do the same thing when I'm working out. If I have a particular day, I'm just not in the mood to run. You know, I will start out and I may even go easy the first 15 minutes. And, you know, let me just get out there, get changed, you know, walk the first 15 minutes and see how I'm doing um, if I don't really don't feel like running. But generally, after 15 minutes, most people are feeling okay and they're not hating it as much anymore. So that's one way I get myself motivated. Another way is to pair it with things that I really like. Um, you know, when I do laundry, I usually fold laundry while I'm watching TV. Um, that makes me a little bit happier. Um, paying bills, there's not much you can do with it. But I can also provide rewards to myself when I get it done. So, you know, I've got to do this and get this project knocked out. But once I do, then I can do something that I really enjoy. So those are um, excellent ways to try to get started and get motivated. Um, and, you know, Jerry shares that she sets the alarm for 15-minute intervals, um, and her best friend works like crazy during commercial breaks. So, you know, that's one way to do it. If you know that you've got to clean the kitchen and, you know, as soon as the commercials come on, you're like, okay, you know, I've got, well, commercial breaks are really long now. So I've got four or five minutes that I can do something. You can probably get a lot done in that commercial break period. So that's a great suggestion. Some people really like working out during commercials because, again, it's a very time-limited thing and they're like, I can do anything for four minutes. And so that helps them get a little bit more motivated to do something.
Okay, so principles of motivation. Motivation is a key to change. Well, duh. If we're not motivated, we ain't going to do it. Um, motivation, and getting a little ahead of myself, is partly driven by the chemicals norepinephrine and dopamine. So if you don't have enough of those, you may not feel motivated. Hence the reason people, when they're depressed, especially if they don't have enough norepinephrine, um, may have difficulty kind of getting started and feel sluggish, which is why some of our antidepressants are actually selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Who knew? Okay, so it's a key to change. Motivation and people are multidimensional, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this today because too often we think of motivation as a cognitive thing, but it's not, or it's not just a cognitive thing. There are so many more aspects. Motivation is dynamic and fluctuating. So like working on my dissertation, you know, there were some days I was just gung-ho, you know, I'd read a, a bunch of articles and stuff and I was like really ready to work on this particular chapter or something or when I got into statistics, I loved running stuff through SPSS and getting the pretty graphs. So doing the analysis part of my dissertation was really exciting. So I enjoyed those parts. But then there were other parts, nah, not so much. So, you know, dynamic and fluctuating, when you get to parts that you don't like or when there are other competing things, I mean, think about even something that you've enjoyed doing, like going to the, going to the um, park to go hiking. That's one of my things. Um, sometimes I've just got other competing responsibilities and I'm not motivated to do it. Like this morning, I almost didn't go to the gym because I'm like, well, I really have all this other stuff to do, even though... I, I had already made a playlist and everything. So we want to recognize that with our clients, when they are trying to change, when the going gets tough, the tough think twice. Um, and, and that's normal. That's normal to have some ambivalence, whether it's dieting or quitting smoking or, you know, anything that we're doing. Motivation is influenced by social interactions, and it can be modified. Even if you wake up and you're just like, no. No, today is just not going to happen. And you want to pull the covers up over your head, which a lot of our clients have those days, and a lot of us probably have those days occasionally. But we can lay there and, you know, think about the reasons that we want to get out of bed and improve our motivation, even if it means putting carrots at the end of the stick, if you will, putting rewards at the end, like, okay, if I go to work today, you know, maybe I'll allow myself to st stop and get coffee on the way in, and then maybe I'll treat myself to dinner tonight because I'm just not feeling it. So there are things that we can do. Um, another thing that you compare, and, you know, Carolyn was sharing that she also watches TV, another thing that you compare with some activities, not ones that require a lot of concentration, is music. You know, sometimes I will just put on my headphones really loud and I will rock out while I'm uh, cleaning the house. So, you know, whatever it is that makes it more pleasurable. Okay, motivation involves recognizing that something needs to be done. And one of my professors in college had a phrase, and it stuck with me forever, change causes crisis and crisis causes change. So let's think about that for a second. When we change... We are upsetting the homeostasis. We're upsetting the apple cart, if you will. So it takes effort. Now, it's not a, you know, emotional crisis necessarily. But sometimes, for example, if you're going on a diet and you're like, okay, I need to go on a diet. I need to start eating healthier. Let's just say we're going to make a permanent 
lifestyle change, that's a change. And when you start doing that, that may mean that you can't have unlimited pizza every night of the week or something. And that may cause a little mini crisis because you're like, I want pizza. You know, gosh darn it. So it's a mini crisis. But when you change, you're going to be uncomfortable for a period of time. That's where motivation comes in. That's where we have to help people see all the reasons for or they have to be able to figure out all of the reasons it's worth going through this in order to achieve their goal. So change causes crisis, but crisis causes change. Generally, we're not motivated to do something unless there's a reason to do it. We don't just wake up one morning and go, hey, everything's going great. I'm happy with everything. I think I will just throw a wrench in the works. You know, if we're going to start doing something, there is some sort of a crisis. People, when they decide to stop smoking, for example, have recognized that it's having a negative effect on their health or their finances or their relationships or, or something. Something has changed that's happened to tell them, you know, it's unco too uncomfortable to keep doing this, so we need to do something different. Okay. We need to help clients identify the benefits to making this change, and we want to teach them. We don't want to do it for them. We want to teach them how to identify the benefits for themselves, and we're going to talk about MEEPS in a little while, and that was the best I could come up with for an acronym. But we want to have them look at the mental benefits. You know, how does it make logical sense to make this change? The emotional benefits. How is it going to make you happier? The environmental benefits, if it will have any effect on the environment. The physical benefits. How will it affect your energy and your health and all that stuff? Um, the, and the social benefits. How will, how will making this change impact your relationships for the better? Obviously, we're trying to identify benefits here. Then we want to go and have them address the drawbacks to doing it. And you'll go through that, those meeps again. Mentally, what are some of the reasons this change doesn't make sense? And there may not be a lot, but we want to just hit each area to make sure that we're identifying all the drawbacks. Um, emotionally, what are the drawbacks to doing it? Well, it's stressful. We just said change causes crisis. So, yeah, it's going to be stressful. And depending on the level of the change and, you know, how big of a change it is and stuff, people need to consider how it's going to affect the rest of their life. Remember that the um, analogy of throwing a, a rock into the, into the water and it causes the ripples and it disrupts the sediment and, you know, there are a lot of effects of every choice we make that are observable on the surface, but also a lot that are under the surface that, you know, we may miss. So we really want to think about what are the drawbacks to doing it um, mentally, emotionally, environmentally, physically, and socially. Um, then we want to create a plan. You know, when people are motivated, it helps to have some level of a plan and not just to be kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Because when you have a plan, what do you have? You have a destination. And when you've got a destination, then you can always come back and go, okay, I know what I'm working towards. And then we need to implement the plan. And implementation isn't usually 100% correct the first time. Most of the time, we come up with a plan and it sounds great. And somewhere along the way, we got to drop back and punt because something unexpected happens or we didn't think it through all the way. But that's okay. And I want clients to recognize when they make these change plans, 
but they're, you know, they're not set in stone. There are options. It's like taking a um, trip from, you know, here to across the country or whatever. Back in the olden days, before Google Maps, um, we used to get something called triptychs from AAA, and some of you may remember these. Um, and they would identify where there's construction and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, since they were printed things, they weren't as up-to-date as, you know, what Google Maps is now. But even Google Maps can't anticipate, you know, five-car pileups that shut down the interstate. So sometimes you have a great plan for how to get from point A to point B, but along the way, you hit a traffic jam, and you're going to have to adjust, and that's okay. You know, so nothing is 100% set in stone. So think about a goal that you've achieved, um, you know, and you can share or you don't have to share. That's cool. But what did you want to change? And one goal, for example, is, you know, getting in shape. You know, for me, you know, y'all know I love the gym and I love to work out. And I wanted to get back in better shape after I had my daughter. Okay. So that's what I wanted to change. Why did I want to change it? What was the crisis? Well, I had gotten to the point after I had her that, you know, even doing things that used to be simple for me, I was getting a little bit winded. And I didn't fit into all my other clothes and stuff. And I'm kind of frugal, so I didn't want to have to go buy a whole new wardrobe. So those were a couple things that went into my crisis. What was uncomfortable about the change? Well, exercising for one, <laughs> but also having to find time every day to do it. Um, and the fact that I, I would have to start paying more attention to what I was eating and, and those sorts of things. Okay, recognizing that I can deal with those things. And why was it worth the effort? Because I feel better. I have more energy, you know, and, you know, once she got to be about two, I needed a bunch of energy because that child just didn't sit still. It's important to have clients think about goals that they've set before that they've been successful at accomplishing, and even ones that they haven't been successful at accomplishing. But I want to start with successful ones because I want them to see the crisis that was there. And I want them to see maybe some of the reasons why they might not have wanted to change, but they overcame those obstacles or whatever you want to call it. So types of motivation. Mental motivators. What types of things um, mentally does it make logical sense? And in what ways can it help with your concentration, your memory, all that kind of thing? And mental motivators also include include believing you can do it, you know, having that ability. So we need to have self-efficacy. We need to have reasons, you know, maybe mental benefits to this in addition to the logical reasons. Emotional motivators, you know, how is it going to help you feel happier? You know, I have depression, anxiety, panic, PTSD. Well, a lot of people want to get rid of those. So what's the ultimate goal? The motivator is I want to be happier. Environmental motivators, and you're like, how's it going to change how I interior decorate? Well, that's not really it. When we talk about environmental motivators, think about those environments that you go into where there may be a lot of tension in the room, maybe because somebody is continuing to drink or continuing to smoke. There is tension between them and their spouse, and there's always this undercurrent of palpable tension. Well, you know, that can be 
trying and it can make it less pleasant to go home and you know another way to look at environmental motivators is is it going to free up some money or free up make it possible to improve your environment in some way maybe it means you can move somewhere or or whatever but we do want to look at how will this change help you get out of an unhealthy or toxic environment like like uh, Pat said and environments you know and it's a good point remember that environments are not just at home environments are everywhere so environments can be you know in your car if you're driving a car that has 150,000 miles on it and breaks down every other week that's gonna be stressful um, so if this change you're making is somehow going to help you get a new car you know that could be a benefit you know if you're stop smoking you may start saving more money not that you're gonna save enough money to pay off a car but you can see some possible changes physical motivators you want to feel healthy you want to be less painful it's not realistic to expect to be pain-free all the time so just hang that up but you don't want to be uncomfortable the majority of the time and some of these changes can also reduce your anxiety about fear of contracting a disease like um, lung cancer or a sexually transmitted disease or, or whatever social motivators in what ways does this change that you're getting ready to make coincide with what your friends and family want if they want you to be healthier if they want you to live a long life which hopefully they do you know that coincides with what they want how does it coincide with what you need to do to be accepted and I know some people are like oh but let's just be real regardless of where you are you've got a peer group that has certain expectations that unconditional positive regard doesn't happen as often as you would like <clears throat> so in order to be accepted in your peer group um, you know are there things that you feel you need to do and that's a um, that's something to consider and, and Carolyn points out peer groups can be great if you're if we're not looking at it as a way to be accepted but social accountability which is why for example Weight Watchers works so well and a lot of support group meetings really help people stay accountable to moving forward <clears throat> um, and other social motivators include wanting to set a good example for your kids or for other people's kids for that matter and then occupational motivators you know that's not in the MEEPS acronym but I threw it in here anyway sometimes people are motivated by fear of losing a job their desire for a promotion or just frustration at their own work performance because of their depression because of their relationship issues because of their um, health conditions whatever it is that they're getting ready to change so people often will not have motivators in every single one of these areas but by breaking it down more granular than just saying well why are you motivated it really helps them think about the breadth of reasons they're motivated and tie it to guess what that destination of a rich and meaningful life so dimensions of your motivation your meeps again how is your issue impacting and this is another way you can help people get out of it instead of asking them how will it improve these things you can start from the negative and then work to the positive and you can say how is your ability to think and concentrate being affected by 
what's going on right now. You know, maybe this is somebody who's really depressed and they're sleeping all the time and they really want to get on a more regular sleep schedule. We're not talking about depression, which has, you know, 15 possible symptoms. We're talking about one symptom of depression. So how is this sleeping all the time impacting your ability to think and concentrate? Well, a lot of times if your circadian rhythm's out of whack and you're not getting good sleep, it's going to be harder to think and concentrate. I remember when my kids were little, I had mommy brain, and that's what I blamed it on. And my mom's going through chemo right now, and she calls it chemo brain, um, because she's just, she's not able to sleep as much, um, and she's on a whole lot of drugs, but that's beside the point. Um, but in order to start moving towards your goal of being more awake and alert and able to think and concentrate and be sharp like you used to be, what needs to happen? How is your current issue, and we'll stay with sleeping too much right now, how is your current issue impacting your mood? I know even if I'm sleeping a lot, if it's not quality sleep, I'm cranky. Sleep is a big vulnerability for me. Um, How is this issue impacting your environment? And what is it telling you? So again, if I'm sleeping all the time, I generally, and my circadian rhythms are out of whack, I may not um, have energy to get up and clean and to dust and to do all those things. And we may start developing flat surface-itis. And that's how it impacts your environment. Um, You can also look at your environment, how it impacts, you know, just the tension among people. Physical health, including sleep and nutrition. How is sleeping all the time negatively impacting your sleep? Well, you're throwing your circadian rhythms out of rack out of whack so you may be getting a lot of sleep but it's poor quality sleep so you're never feeling rested how is it impacting your relationships again not getting enough sleep you're kind of fatigued kind of foggy headed your norepinephrine is going to go down so your motivation is going to go really low so you may not be excited to engage with other people and other people may start getting frustrated with you because you're not engaging with them your kids may get frustrated with you because you're not able to make you're just not able to muster the energy to make their you know soccer games or whatever and how is it impacting your work including your work product your desire to go to work and that ever elusive use of sick days so if your clients have difficulty starting with the where do i want to go this can help them identify where am i at right now And then you can start making steps for where they're going. So part of getting motivated is to understand the benefits and the drawbacks of the old behavior and the new behaviors. And we've done this before in multiple different iterations. This is a decisional balance exercise. This one is really simplified. Um, But we'll go through it real quick. So for example, if I want to start eating better, what are the benefits? And... uh, Jerry shared a quote before we get into this that um, I missed when she posted it. Mark Twain once said, if it's your job to eat a frog first thing in the morning, it's best to do it in the morning. Nothing that happens after that will be as bad. I'm, I'm going to remember that one. Every time I have to get up in the morning and I don't want to, I'll think about eating a frog. Um, so do the stuff that you don't want to do. You know, kind of get it out of the way. That can be another way of looking at it. Um, so that's really awesome. Okay, so back to this decisional balance exercise. And you can do this in group with clients. You can put it up on the whiteboard or my, you know, ever favorite, 
break people up into small groups, have breakout groups. Because, you know, again, if you're getting them up and you're moving them and they're thinking, uh, they're probably going to be more engaged. If they're just sitting in a circle for an hour, you're going to have people drifting off. But if they are physically moving as well as mentally doing activities throughout the group, they're going to stay much more engaged. So you can have around the room, you know, three or four different things that, that uh, someone wants to do. Or you can have two stations. One is, what are the benefits to eating better? And a lot of people can, you know, lift, list off the benefits that they hear all the time. What are the drawbacks to eating better? And, you know, just brainstorm those. <clears throat> and then talk about solutions to drawbacks. So, for example, if you want to start eating better, have you ever realized, recognized, looked at the fact that a lot of the healthy food at the grocery store is way more expensive than the junk food? So it's more expensive. A lot of times you have to prepare it yourself. Um, and a lot of the things that we really like to eat may not be on that healthy menu so you may have to cut back not cut out but cut back on some of those you know so those are three drawbacks so what are the solutions to those drawbacks yes they're a little more expensive so look for items on sale you know i know i keep track of where the produce goes on sale because my kids go through produce like you wouldn't believe um and that can help some. You can also, if you live in a community where there are farmers, you can go to farmer's markets. You know, there are options there. You have to cook it yourself. Well, that's true, but you can also um, cook ahead of time. You know, just because it's healthy, nutritious food doesn't mean it has to be cooked that very day. So there are a lot of cook-ahead meals and stuff that you can do. So encourage them, once they identify the drawbacks, have the whole group brainstorm or solutions to those drawbacks so you can find workarounds. Just like the traffic jam on your trip, you have to get off the interstate and find those back roads, but you make it around. If I decide not to change my eating habits, what's the benefit? Well, you know, it's a lot less stressful. Um, what are some solutions or al alternative ways to meet the same needs? So if I'm thinking it's stressful to change my eating habits, what is a way to make it less stressful? Um, one could be taking a community education class on cooking. Another could be get together with four friends for that social motivation and alternate who cooks dinner each night and just have dinner at each other's houses or something so encourage people to be um, open-minded there's no stupid solution they're all creative solutions and encourage them to get outside the box and sometimes you may need to throw some really radical stuff in there and it's not going to work for everybody they have a lot of those services now that you can order um, fresh fruit fresh food to be delivered to your door and with meal plans and everything well, that sounds lovely that sounds awesome but it's also not cheap at all so you know that's not going to work for everybody so encouraging them to look at what works for them in our house you know yes i buy frozen vegetables is it just is the way it is because you know it's hard to keep all the fresh vegetables in all the time but that's a workaround there is still better than you know canned and, and stuff like that sometimes so stages of change. We've got clients that are ready to make changes. They've identified all the reasons they want to make a change. They've eliminated 
or mitigated all of their concerns about making a change. So they're gung-ho now. And they're like, okay, I can do this. All right. Well, that's great. Um, In that place, they're in what we call the action stage of change. Now, some of your clients, when you're working with them in group, may not be quite there in terms of change. So what we're looking at in terms of motivation is very different. So when somebody is in preparation, which is just what it sounds like, they're preparing to make a change, they know there's a problem, they want to figure out how to solve it, and they're ready to get started taking action. So the motivation here is to move them from the preparing stage, where they've got some apprehensions still, to doing something. With pre-contemplation, these people don't realize that there's a problem yet. So if you're working with a client who, you know, based on your discussions, you know they're drinking a little too much or, you know, drinking heavily or there's something else going on that they need to make a change, but they're not ready to do it yet. They don't see it as a big problem. Okay. So they're considered pre-contemplation. They're not even contemplating the issue that there's a problem. There are three types. Reluctant pre-contemplators don't have sufficient knowledge or awareness about the problem. So, for example, um, my old boss had diabetes, and, you know, he didn't have sufficient knowledge or awareness at first about the problem because he was obese and obviously um, didn't have some of the best eating habits in the world, as well as stress management, but that's a whole different story. So he didn't really realize how stress was impacting his blood sugar levels as well as his eating. And it was important for him to get that information for him to even start saying, oh, you know, maybe this working 18, 20 hours a day, six and seven days a week isn't what I need to do. So we need to help them recognize that our clients that don't have enough information get the information they need to make an informed decision. You know, if you're asking them to do something, Help them understand why it's important to help them achieve what they see as important in a rich and meaningful life. Um, I just need to record that on a soundtrack. Anyway, so we want to ask the clients, how is your addiction or mental health issue or behavior impacting you and your family? So they can start recognizing that change may be necessary. Now, with my old boss... He knew about eating, and he learned about what he needed to do to eat healthfully in order to better manage his diabetes. But it took him a while to get the information that he needed to convince him that stress and not getting enough sleep was also contributing to the difficulty maintaining his blood sugar levels. Rebellious pre-contemplators are afraid of losing control over their lives. Um, Rebellious pre-contemplators feel like they're being forced or lectured to. And that's the last thing we want in a motivational setup. We just want to talk to people and go, okay, how can we form a mutually agreeable goal? You know, I'm not going to, you're the captain of your own ship. I'm not going to force you to do anything. If you want to, you know, we'll take my boss's example. If you want to get your diabetes under control, I am here to educate you, but I'm not going to tell you necessarily, that you have to stop doing this, that, or the other. You know, you have the ability to make those choices. Um, So asking clients, what things are making you feel forced into this change? 
or what things are you afraid of losing control over empower in pre-contemplation surprisingly because they're saying i don't have a problem you wouldn't think that empowerment would be a key feature but it so is because we want clients to feel get engaged and really go you know what this is a change i need to make and a change i want to make so they have the desire willingness and ability um, once we figure out the things that are making them feel forced into recovery we want to look at how we can reframe those things so they feel less angry or annoyed um, when i worked with involuntary clients from probation and parole they were pre-contemplators no doubt and they were annoyed that they had to be in group with me for 16 weeks yeah i don't blame them yeah i wouldn't want to be told that it was mandatory that i do this uh, but it was how it was and if they wanted to get off probation then they had to come to my groups which were substance abuse groups so instead of approaching them with this attitude of abstinence is the only way you got to quit using yada yada i approached them from the perspective of you want to get off probation the only way to do this do that is to stay clean for the full 16 weeks and to attend every single group that's those are the rules the judge set those i have no control over those so since you're stuck with me for 16 weeks how can i make this worth your effort and time you know what is it that you want want to learn what could we do and a lot of times we did basic coping and life skills parenting you know a lot of stuff came up about current presenting issues when we would go around the room and i do check-ins and everything so there was stuff to cover but the goal was here since they didn't think substances were a problem for them was not to keep beating that poor dead horse it was to say okay you're not ready to see that problem yet what problems do you have and then you know if they had difficulty staying clean and sober and attending for the 16 weeks then that was kind of the elephant in the room we needed to talk about resigned pre-contemplators feel hopeless about change and overwhelmed by all of the energy required so it's important for us to help them identify times they've tried to change so you may have somebody who is a smoker who comes in and goes you know what just screw it I, I don't need to stop smoking that bad it's too hard I gain too much weight it's just it's not worth it well they're pre-contemplators they're, they're saying it's not a problem for me or not a, enough of a problem for me right now to change okay so if they're in your office and you know theoretically you want them to figure out how to change we want to say okay when have you tried to change and been successful even if only for a day or half a day you know when have you tried to stop smoking and and were successful and it wasn't horrid tell me about that um, and we also want to educate at this point about the change process because if they've tried to change and failed before then we want to talk about why that might have been what did they miss what did they not have the knowledge about or how did their treatment plan fail them because sometimes you know i will take responsibility um if we miss this gaping thing that was a trigger for them so we want to talk about you know what causes behaviors why people choose behaviors and the fact that humans choose the behavior that is most rewarding so if they're faced with this recovery behavior or this old behavior and the old behavior for whatever reason at this point in time is more rewarding they're going to choose that so i need to understand why why was this more rewarding than this 
And it could be they just don't have strong enough skills and tools yet. It could be something else was happening that, you know, the recovery skills and tools they had just couldn't touch. And they, if we're talking about addiction, they needed to numb or escape from for a while. I don't know, but help me understand. So I want to talk to them from that perspective and say, let's join together and figure out how to help you move toward a rich and meaningful life. Because if they're pre-contemplation and they're in your office, they're being forced by somebody, whether it's their spouse that says you do this or I'm going to divorce you or somebody in the system. They're not there by choice. And yes, pre-contemplation is really hard to jolt people out of sometimes, if you will. So when we're talking about motivation for pre-contemplation, we're not talking about moving them from pre-contemplation to treatment. No. And that was the mistake I made for the first two years that I was practicing. And finally, I talked to my supervisor and I'm like, you know, people come in and then they're back in detox three months after they graduate. I don't get it. And he said, you can't move them from pre-contemplation to action in 30 days. Nobody can. I mean, that, that's just unreasonable. You want to, if they're in pre-contemplation, you want to increase their motivation to contemplate the fact that there might be a problem. You want, it's just a baby step. So if you can move them from saying there ain't a problem to, okay, well, maybe I'm willing to consider the fact that there might be a problem. Well, score. You've done your job. So in contemplation, we need to validate clients and help them realize that ambivalence is normal. You know, you've been doing something that had a reward, you know, some type of reward. It was solving, serving a purpose of some sort. So thinking about giving that up or changing that is kind of intimidating. And if it was something you liked on top of that, then, you know, there's a little bit of grief that goes along with that. So I get it. There's ambivalence. You know, people who smoke, a lot of people who smoke like smoking. And so there's some ambivalence about change, but they recognize the health benefits and financial benefits and everything else of change. So we want to help them tip the decisional balance scales toward change by eliciting and weighing the pros and cons of substance use and change, which was what we talked about um, back here with looking at the benefits and drawbacks and mitigating anything that might stand in their way of being fully motivated to change. Um, so some activities that you can do. Um, I call them God collages. And in this, God is capitalized because it's good, orderly direction. Not everybody believes in a higher power, and that's okay. But some people do. So that's fine. Good, orderly direction is that list of twists and turns you go through, you know, your, your directions to get you from point A to point B. On the Back when we had AAA and the triptychs. That's what you would flip through, the different pages, to tell you where to turn and what to do. So a God collage helps them envision where they're going, their destination, as well as the things that they're going to do along the way, like make friends and start a cooking class or whatever it is they want to do. So they can get excited about this trip. You know, when, when I go on a long trip, I'm like, oh, 17 hours in the car, you've got to be kidding. But... If every couple of hours there's a scenic overlook or a museum to stop at or something, then I'm excited. I'm like, okay, you know, I can make it two hours to this little reward here. So God collages can be really fun for people to do to encourage them to think about not only the destination, 
but the the process you can do drawbacks to staying the same you can do a collage for that I don't like those because I want people to really focus on the benefits of change and not so much on the negative but whatever another activity that I've had a lot of fun with doing with clients is I have them pretend they built this awesome community called recovery place you know they bought 500 acres somewhere and they had it all subdivided and this is going to be this private gated community called recovery place it has everything people need to be happy and healthy in its walls doctors grocery stores housing it's a walkable community um, you're selling houses in recovery place and have to convince people to buy so this is when you put on your marketing cap you have to convince people why it's worth the money right now because it costs a lot to put that together which is akin to why is this change worth all the effort you're putting into it right now and what kind of returns can people expect to see on their investment over time and so we talk about that and then we go back and obviously draw the parallels about why is this behavior change you're getting ready to do worth the effort time and costs to you now and what kind of returns what kind of benefits do you expect to see from your investment of time and effort and money possibly over time you know how is it going to help you get closer to your goals so that can be a lot of fun you can have them um, stay with this metaphor for the entire class and draw up flyers and you know work together on different brainstorming uh, brainstorming ideas get their creative juices flowing overcoming obstacles you can have again around the room flip chart papers three things that could take my focus off my recovery are and it could be you know my kid gets sick I lose my job or you know I break up with my spouse or something okay I can deal with these things if they happen by and I want to plan I want people to think about obstacles that they either anticipate like the holidays are coming up so if you're trying to eat healthier and you're getting ready to go into Halloween Thanksgiving and Christmas there's a lot of unhealthy food that can be available but there's also healthy food that can be available so three things that could take your focus off recovery you know or change in this particular time are X Y and Z um, in the past when I've tried to stop using or change you know whatever change we're talking about these three things have derailed my recovery so I want people to think about what's caused their relapses if you will in the past and how they can prevent them now I have one client that I worked with um, that relapsed several times but every single time he relapsed it was because he got into a relationship early in recovery like you know pretty much the day he walked out of residential treatment and then it ended so you know we kind of looked at it and I was like you know this is in law enforcement what they call a clue um, so relationships especially relationships in early recovery derailed his change process so we figured out ways that he could get his needs for affiliation met without necessarily you know getting into a, a dangerous place the thing I'm most afraid of about recovery is or about this change is and I can deal with it by a lot of people when they get ready to stop smoking one of the things they're most afraid of is weight gain okay you're afraid of weight gain how can we deal with that 
you know, and talk about different pharmacological interventions to stop some of the cravings so they're not hand to mouth all the time. Talk about doing something different with their hands. You know, I find that if I'm crocheting or doing something with my hands, I'm less likely to eat. So the part of recovery I dread the most is, and it may be with withdrawal, it may be the cravings. You know, if you're talking about change, you know, eating more healthfully, you know, maybe it means the part of of this, that change a person dreads the most is going without pizza or not being able to have pizza every night. Get the idea? I like pizza. Yeah. Um, I can deal with it by. So there are options. You, there are healthy pizzas you can get, French bread pizzas and stuff. You can allow yourself to have it once a week or something. So we want to help people visualize any obstacles that may come up. Just like you visualize if you're driving along and there's a traffic jam on the interstate, you've got to figure out, okay, how do I get around this? You know, we want to anticipate if there is a traffic jam. What steps are you going to take in order to figure out your way around? Uh, preparation. In this phase, the person is obviously preparing to make a change. They realize it's a problem, but they're, they're still afraid, and they're preparing. They're getting all their proverbial ducks in a row. So have them clarify their goals. Create a menu of options for change or treatment, which means asking them, where can you find information about this? You know, I can spoon feed it to you. But when you make changes in the future, how are you going to find out what your options are for change? If you want to start eating more healthfully, <clears throat> or if you want to stop smoking, or if you want to, um, maybe you, you're renting right now and you want to buy a house. Okay, those are all changes. How do you figure out what your options are for making those things happen? Connect with others who are making a similar change. You know, if it's recovery from substances, if it's depression recovery, if it's weight loss, whatever. Get that social support. Identify and deal with barriers to change. Get a commitment from people close to you not to expose you to triggers. So whatever it is, you know, if you're trying to buy a new house, yeah, then you're probably going to need to save money for a down payment. So if you've got some, a friend coming over all the time going, oh, let's go on vacation this weekend. Let's go out to Vegas. Let's do this. That's a trigger for spending money potentially. Um, but consider any triggers that might derail you. Review what's worked in the past for you. And if things haven't worked in the past for you or maybe you've never tried change before, encourage them to think about what's worked for people they know who've done something similar. Plan for handling finances, childcare, work, transportation, or other potential commitments. Why? Why do we need to plan for all this, assuming they're not going into residential? One of the things I tell a lot of my clients, most of them, is that therapy, change, whatever change you're making, whether it's, you know, getting in shape or um, dealing with depression or stopping addiction, it's a full-time job. It is going to be exceedingly draining. It's going to take a lot of energy. And even if you're only doing it an hour a day, that is an intense freaking hour. So it's important for them to figure out ahead of time, okay, I'm going to be using a whole bunch. This is going to be an energy suck for 12 weeks or something. How can I manage the rest of the must-dos in my life during this period so that they don't derail me? Encourage people to publicly announce plans to change in order to help themselves become accountable as well as aware of any inner resistance. If they're not willing to 
announce it to other people, then that's, there may be part of them that either doesn't think they can, they don't think they have the ability, or they're not willing. So, you know, those are two of the three parts of motivation that we need to work at. And if they're not willing to tell certain people, you know, that's another thing. And we're not going to force them to tell anybody um, what they're getting ready to do. But if they think about making a change and they're like, yeah, I, I I'm not sure that I really want to tell my parent about this because, you know, whenever I've tried to change something in the past, they've told me that I was going to fail or when I have failed, they've kind of rubbed my nose in it or whatever. And okay, that's okay. You know, that's, that's protective, but we do want to figure out anything that might be holding, holding people back and continue to have people refine their vision of a RML, rich and meaningful life. One way you can do that is have clients write a letter to themselves from the future. So this is a letter. It's kind of like a postcard you send from Hawaii or something, but this is you in the future after you've made this change. And you're writing to yourself in the present going, oh my gosh, not only is it as good as you thought, but it's even better. And these are all the reasons why. And that gives the person something to kind of focus on. Um, points to remember. Change is a gradual process. People's behaviors, whatever they have, has helped them survive until they were able to start getting other tools. And I just attended a workshop last weekend on... Um, uh, crisis, trauma, and suicidality. And one of the things that we talked about a lot was self-injurious behavior. A lot of people who are self-injurious are not necessarily suicidal. The self-injury is one coping skill they have that's helping them survive right now. Because when they do that, they're either controlling their pain, they have complete control of how much they hurt, and or they may be so numb that... Self-injury actually lets them feel something. So self-injury self can be looked at from a, in what way is this helping the person survive? Not that it's the best option by any means, but what is the function of this behavior? Okay, that behavior was serving a function to help you survive. That's awesome. That means you want to survive. So let's figure out a new way to do it that, that's healthier. And remember, it's gradual. So, you know, somebody who has been self-injuring is not just going to turn around in 24 hours and go, no, nah, don't need to do any of that anymore. I'm good. There's going to be a process. So you may need to back down to, you know, when they feel the urge to self-harm, hold ice cubes in their hands. That hurts. That gives, you, that gives you that sensation to either focus on or to feel something. So there are non-self-injury options. I had one client who would put on her headphones and turn up music really really loud and that allowed her to sort of feel and have some control over something was it good for her ears no but you know i wasn't going to split hairs encourage people to develop two or three sober sane social supports and by that i mean people who are not in active addiction people who are relatively emotionally stable you know they're not off in this you know far end of the spectrum of, you know, you should do this or you shouldn't be on any medications or, or whatever. And there's social supports. I mean, there are people who accept you for who you are, where you are right now, and they are able to provide healthy support with healthy boundaries. 
before people criticize themselves, they need to ask themselves if they would be as critical of their best friend or of their kid. Because most people, and think about yourself, most of us are much more critical of ourselves than we are of anyone else. You know, we don't hold people to the same standard. If you're dealing with a client with an addiction, recognize that they're probably addicted to many things. And when deprived of their addiction of choice, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, they may seek out other behaviors to help them escape, to help them numb. They need to recognize that they may also have other coexisting mental health or physical disorders that require attention. So behavior change isn't necessarily just about changing thoughts or changing behaviors. There can be other things that need to be addressed. Um, anticipate possible family health system and other problems and identify high-risk situations and develop appropriate strategies to overcome these. So, for example, if you're trying to quit smoking, going to somewhere where people are smoking, I guess you can't smoke in bars anymore, but um, anyway, going to somewhere where there's a lot of nicotine use can be triggering. So how can you overcome this if it's somewhere you have to go? When people are getting ready to make a change, they've got to remember they only have so much energy. And I talk about having a five-gallon bucket of energy. And they have to balance it between their areas. So I encourage them to think about their current emotional happiness. How can they improve it? And how can they reduce stress so they're freeing up some energy? Mental, creativity, concentration. How can they improve this? You know, maybe it's getting more sleep. Maybe it's not letting their blood sugar get too low. Whatever it is. And how can they reduce stress? Physical pain, sleep, nutrition. Again, how can they improve this right now so they're not under as much stress? Because when you're under stress, whether it's emotional, cognitive, or physical, you have increased levels of cortisol that are going to impact mood and energy and sleep and everything else. Social relationships, hobbies, your recreational aspect. How can you improve this so it's bringing joy to your life? And environmental. How can you improve the environment that you're living or working in? You know, if you've got a, uh, a cranky colleague that works in the same office, you know, how can you deal with that in order to reduce your stress so you have more energy that you're not, you're not using a bunch of energy in these areas to deal with stress that's all kind of freed up, and you can use that energy to devote towards your behavior change. So motivation is multidimensional, mental, emotional, environmental, physical, social, and spiritual. It's just as important to understand why a person is motivated to do the current behavior, smoking, overeating, using drugs, gambling, whatever, as to understand why he wants to change. And you've got to remember that even when you're looking at depression, you know, why does somebody want to stay in bed all the time and pull the covers over their head? We want to understand why they're doing that and why they want to change that. Part of developing motivation is addressing obstacles and creating a clear destination that is meaningful for that person. So a mutually agreeable goal. Alrighty, everybody. Thanks for all the interaction and feedback in the chat room. Are there any questions? You're always so enthusiastic, Heather. I appreciate that. Alrighty, everybody. So I will see you on Thursday. Have a great day. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash 
podcast CEUs. That's all CEUs.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.